there's nothing wrong with getting the answer of no. But the biggest problem is having enough guts to ask the questions. Because the first person may say no, the 15th person may say no, but the 20th person may be just the person you were looking for all along. It's just making those connections in life. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips, cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend, but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Kat Jones is in the driver's seat today. Kat is a businesswoman, a hot rod builder, and owner of Cat Pack Customs, an automotive restoration service. She built her first project car, a 1950 Chevy Fastback, five years ago, and during her first build, she learned how to do metalwork, suspension work, engine mechanics, and how to do pinstriping. The kicker to all of this is she started that learning journey at around 50 years old. Kat hopes to challenge other people to learn new things and grow no matter their age. Listen to this inspiring woman as she shares her powerful story with us. Now sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Kat Jones in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Kat? Doing great. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here as well. You know, I'm sitting there recalling. I'm not sure I found you. I think you found us Mm -hmm. through Women's Motor Fest. That's right. And even though I scour the internet for women, it just goes to show you that Even with internet and all the access (laughs) around that, and even with search terms, we're still not finding each other, Yeah, right? It's amazing. And I spent a lot of time trying to find women in our industry. And it goes down to- And we're in the same circles all the time. We have a lot of friends. It just goes to show you how powerful the algorithms are. Mm -hmm. And even though we search for things, sometimes- we still can't find each other, mm-hmm. which makes it so important for us to community over competition, right? I'll say that over and over again. It's community over competition. And because of that thought process and mission through Women's Motor Fest is how you found us. It wasn't Femcanic Garage you found first, which is kind of neat. Yeah. I got the information when you actually submitted the form to register your vehicle. You submitted it, boy, a while ago, yeah. right? 
And I originally thought the submission was for the Detroit show in June, just because you had submitted it prior to that. So I made the assumption wrongfully was for Detroit. And, you know, I get spoiled here. My hometown is Columbus, Ohio. And here you're going to be at the Columbus show coming up very soon. And when I saw the vehicle that you registered, I immediately became intrigued binge watched your videos on YouTube and started doing the stalking that I do. And I use that lightly. I don't stalk my guests, but I do do my research. And I was blown away by what you did. And I was further blown away in our pre-interview because I made another assumption that you'd actually done some of this work before. I had not. (laughs) And you had not. (laughs) So I didn't dive too far into it in the pre-interview. And I share this with all my guests Mm -hmm. where I kind of scraped the surface in the pre-interview because I want to leave the authentic reactions for the recorded interview. But that was one that I wasn't planning on stumbling on. (laughs) What? So those of you who are listening to this, and if you were lucky enough to stumble upon the trailer, the YouTube trailer for this episode, we'll make sure we get a picture of the beautiful paint job you did on your Studebaker. But before we kind of let all the cats out of the bag, (laughs) one of my favorite questions to ask, did you always know you would get into this industry? I didn't know the depth that I would get into this industry. I knew it was skills that I wanted to explore in my lifetime. It was just finding the right moment to dive in and surround myself with the right people to educate me and to answer all of my crazy questions and to guide me along the path. And the rest of it is just persistence. It's like anything that you want to learn in life. If you have a passion and the desire to learn, find your people Mm. and your world is your oyster. And don't be afraid to ask. That is my number one thing in everything I do in life. There's nothing wrong with getting the answer of no. But the biggest problem is having enough guts to ask the questions because The first person may say no, the 15th person may say no, but the 20th person may be just the person you were looking for all along. It's just making those connections in life. Your journey into this industry was another, I don't know, kind of mind blow to me, right? (laughs) So let's back up. Let's back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the early years of Cat Jones, okay? Mm -hmm. You went to college. Yep. What did you go to school for? For special education, learned a lot about behavior, modification, education, working with youth, all of those great things, and then never used that degree. Well, I used the skills acquired from that degree. That's fair. And found my bliss in healthcare, which I still work in, developed those muscles, and I did a lot of self-education. Actually went back to school about 15 years ago to really sharpen those skill sets, make sure that I was keeping fresh in the, the knowledge bases, all of those things. But like everything in life, you always have those outside interests. And one of those for me has always been the automotive whether it be my taste in my daily driver or how things work or just the mechanical aspects of it. All of those things led me to the point of wanting to have my own vehicle. And since my passion and my likes and my taste have a tendency to be a little bit different, I like different cars and 
you know, my cars that I've had and have sort of lend themselves to that personality aspect of myself. I know there's some listeners that are sitting there like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Okay. So (laughs) special education. Okay. Yeah. I get it. A lot of people go get a degree and they end up not air quote using it, right? Going a different path. Right. Then healthcare, like not even remotely close to automotive. So, (laughs) but there's some folks that are like, okay, what do you do in healthcare? So I currently, I work for a TPA, third-party administrator, healthcare insurance, to make it easy. And I negotiate contracts for healthcare systems with my company and for surgeries and procedures and all sorts of things to lower the cost of healthcare to our membership. So it involves a lot of analytical thinking, a lot of problem solving, a lot of really good communication skills. And I always tell people, Healthcare is very similar to mechanics and automotive because it's a lot of diagnosing, troubleshooting, asking questions, sharing knowledge, figuring out best practices. Very, very similar in terms of the way your brain works and troubleshooting all sorts of problems. So it's almost a natural leap to me. So like if I have a problem with my car, those same muscles that I flex in healthcare, I'm flexing them when it comes to diagnosing car issues as well. I love that analogy, Kat, because I feel like I have ran into a lot of women that are, when I say later in their career, what I mean by that is they're not fresh out of college, Mm -hmm. right? They're established in their career. Here you were established in your career. How long have you been in the healthcare industry? Mm, Over 30 years now. Okay. Established in your career. Yeah. And this is what I mean. And when I say established, I don't mean necessarily has to be 30 years. It could be 10. It could be five, right? Yeah. But my point is, I have run into a lot of women where it's like, eh, I've been doing it. I've been in this industry, fill in the blank, this long. I'm not switching, right? And what you just pointed out is so important because we are our biggest person that holds ourselves back. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally agree. And your story is so amazing around this so that it gives the listeners an opportunity to chew on this a little bit because some of them are going to hang on this and they're going (laughs) to miss some of the important stuff. So let's just get this part out of the way. Mm -hmm. You've technically, right, air quotes, technically been working in this industry for how many years? A little over five. So a little over five. Mm -hmm. And Kat, do you mind sharing your age? I'm 54. So you were 49 years old. And I'm not even going to say when you switched industries, right? Yeah. You got really serious about a passion project. We'll call that. Yeah. That's evolved and become its own animal almost. Yep. 49, ladies. We need to stop this mess about, oh, this is the way it's always been. So I'll just, we need to stop that craziness. If you have an interest, and it's not like you've walked away from your healthcare background and industry either, right? They're parallel universes. I love them both. I have passion for both. And it's one of those things that I always talk with women at car shows and 
and events in general. And people are like, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, but you can, you can, you can learn anything. You have to have a passion for it. Yeah. I love it. I just love your story. And every story has its dynamic piece to it, right? It's clear to the young girls that I've interviewed. And it's the whole point in me having this plethora of people and their experiences, women and their experiences is to show women that anything is possible. And it's not just me saying it. Yep. I'm literally putting the women in front of you, showing you. Yep. And you're another example of that. Here you are at 49. Like, what was that thing where the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, that pushed you over the edge, not in a negative way, right? But right. to say, yes, let's go ahead and do this. When I met my fiance, he has two vintage cars and he has a passion. He's been in the automotive aftermarket industry for, you know, 25, 30 years. He's always grown up with having cars, working on them with his dad. And he's a great teacher. He puts up with my questions. So, you know, my rule of thumb is generally I always have like follow up questions to piece everything together. So I fully understand the concept. And he's very patient with that fact. When we first started dating, I said, you know, I've always wanted to have a car. And, you know, he's like, don't get it because I have them. And I'm like, no, I just really want to have one. So he helped me. We, you know, looked online and we found a car and made a deal. And then we started uncovering someone else's poor engineering, basically. And I learned piece by piece how to troubleshoot and get things to work correctly and make it my own project. And that really... Kat, real quick, just to be clear, when you say you want your own car, it's not that you didn't drive before, didn't have a car. Right. You're talking more like the uh, project type car. Right. Absolutely. Gotcha. You know, and I've always had my own vehicles and, you know, maintained them and all of that. But I love the older vintage cars and I wanted to have one. And it was just, it seemed like the right time. I had saved the money. I could afford to do it and all of that. And here I had someone in my life who had been doing it. So there's a great knowledge base who I could bug with all my questions and learn how to do things and ask questions and expand that part of my life. And that's what I did. Let's debunk anything that may be popping in people's head. Yep. Did your fiance do the work for you? No. No, he has a very hard and fast rule. And we always make this clear when people talk with us is that he will tell me how to do it. He'll even watch me do it. But I'm the one out there doing it. Even if I'm afraid to do something like, you know, some things are a little nerve wracking. And Oh, you get the grinders out. You start welding. and just- Oh, I lost a chunk of my arm from that. <laughs> I mean, it's no joke. Yeah. And it, you know, some of it's a little nerve wracking and sometimes you don't feel like you're ready, but his thing is, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And so when you are empowered, and I truly mean empowered to do that, to try it, to make those mistakes, to figure it out, to maybe, I mean, now we're to a point five plus years later, we'll debate what might be the best way to go about something or what the problem might be or whatever. And sometimes I'm actually right before him. And it's a great, you know, I'll laugh about it, but it's a great feeling because it means that all those lessons have done their job, yeah. meaning it's expanded 
my knowledge base. And it means my passion is pure and true to what my craft is. And it really is a craft when you are doing fabrication or learning how to do wiring or creating an interior or painting for the first time. All of those things, those are crafts. Those are skill sets. Oh, for sure. So let's back up just a little bit. You touched on a little bit. What was the first car that you redid? The first car was a 1950 Chevy Fleetline. It was a four-door. Came out of Arkansas. Someone had put in um, some cool components. They put in an airbag system and an LS motor that nothing worked. And, you know. Was it drivable? No, it didn't drive. No. Yeah. Did they ever get it to drive or they just got stuck? Uh, I think it drove at some point, but there was some programming issues that after a while it wouldn't run for any great length of time. And it really wasn't a finished project. The interior wasn't done, things like that. And it, I saw potential. I saw something I could make my own and make it my own kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned how to do. I learned how to fix wiring. I learned how the airbag system worked. I corrected a ton of stuff. I brought it to another mechanic who was an expert at LS programming, and he taught me about all of that. I had mishaps with that car that are like legendary adventures in my history now of things that can go wrong with an old car, you know. Share one of the legendaries. Um, I've had things like gas tank straps break and crash, have my gas tank crash on the ground. I've had a starter go. While you were driving? Yeah. Thankfully, I wasn't. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> like all of a sudden you hear something dragging and you stop because you don't want anything to happen. Um, I've had a starter go when I was, you know, 180 miles from home on a Sunday when I'm trying to drive home. And if anybody knows, everybody has got limited hours on a Sunday. And I had to rent a, a trailer and a truck and learn how to haul a car back home for the first time. Um, I've had wiring that where airbags weren't working properly and one side was going down and I couldn't get into inflate and I had to learn how the all the airbag systems worked and you know all little things but my favorite is by far is driving home from Syracuse Nationals the last time I showed it and having my drive shaft literally slip out and bounce across the throughway and all I felt was an explosion under my butt and my fiance was a little bit ahead and he realized I wasn't there and he called me and I said, something's wrong. I just felt an explosion under my butt and I'm not taking my foot off the brake because I'm on a hill and I'm going to roll backwards. And lo and behold, it had dry routed out and thankfully did no damage to the undercarriage of the car or to me. And, you know, I had to get it hauled home. But I mean... You sort of take all of these things in stride. I, I remember going into work and telling the people I worked with who are not car people what had happened. I wouldn't brag about building that car. And I'm like, the tow truck driver literally said he had a 2011 F-150 that it just happened to. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing that I've observed is that you rebuild them, yep. but you drive them. Oh, yeah. You drive them. And I think that's one of the coolest things with Women's Motor Fest. That's kind of the next vision and phase Mm -hmm. that I have with Women's Motor Fest is, yes, let's get together Mm -hmm. and hang out at a fest and 
listen to some great music, party together, do some cool, fun events at the festival. Yep. But the next phase is let's go on a cruise together. There's nothing better. A multi-state cruise together. And, you know, the, the way that you handled that, what you just shared is people's fears. Mm-hmm. And I'll say people. It's not just women. It's men, too. Yeah. It's driving your car. The thing breaking down and you not being able to fix it and feeling stranded. Yeah. That feeling, right? And I tell my kids this all the time. You don't remember the moments when everything went perfectly. The memories are made when stuff oftentimes goes to hell in a handbasket or it's the unpredictable thing that you weren't planning on happening that is the most memorable. And that's what, don't be afraid of the unknown. And that's easier said than done. Yep. I get that. But that's part of the deliciousness of it. It is. I totally agree. But the same thing could happen. Yeah. Same thing could happen in anybody's daily driver. Yeah. And how many times have you been on the thruway and you see people pulled over because something went wrong with their car? It's the same thing. It's a vintage car or it's a combination of parts. And then you have to deal with that. And that's... Fine. Yep. So that's one of the key things that I noticed when I was doing research on you is that you don't just build them. Mm -hmm. You drive them. And I love that. And that's the next evolution of Women's Motor Fest. I want to go multi-state caravan of badass women that drive their cars. And if shit breaks down, it breaks down. We help each other if we can. And if we can't, we do what we got to do. And Maybe it's hitch a ride with another woman. You know what I mean? And that's part of the fun, you know? Exactly. I just, oh, I love that. It's a blast. I cannot stress it enough. Uh, there, People always tease Jim and I about when we go to events. We never drive together. We each have our own vehicle. It, we love traveling together. Don't get me wrong, but we love our cars too. And there's something so incredible when you're driving down the road and you see, well, there's a 50 Chevy and there's a 65 Suburban and there's my 54 Studebaker. And you see all of these cars down the thruway. And you see this when we go to Syracuse Nationals, you see a whole bunch of cars driving to Syracuse from Buffalo. It's really the most incredible sight to see. They all look different. They all have their own unique style. Yep. The drivers were all smiling. No one ever frowns when they're driving their car. How can you? No, it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know how you can. Seriously, like it's like meditation. It is. It's just an amazing experience. So here you had your first rebuild, mm-hmm. right? How long did that take you, that car? That one was about four months. High level, what did you need to do to it? Um, Rewire a lot of components to the vehicle, redo the airbag system, reprogram the engine so it would actually run and drive. Uh, I redid the interior, the headliner, painted the interior, did a lot of pinstriping, redid the door carts. Let me pause you for a second. When you say I had to do, let's qualify that, right? Yeah. When you say interior, with your hands, what did you do? I redid. <laughs> I built out the door cards. I painted the interior. I pinstriped it. I put it in a new rug that was unique. It was an, uh, an actual house interior rug for my pinstriping mentor. Did pinstriping on the exterior of the car. Uh, learned how to do wood graining on the first car for the inside trim. So did research on that and then 
figured out what colors I wanted to incorporate and did that. And that's the first time you had ever done it. Oh, yeah. Folks, you have to go online and see this first time pass. Like I was blown away. Like I'm like, there is no way you haven't done this before. Yeah. But you haven't. No. I mean, you want to talk about a calling. Yeah. And just like God given talents. I just wow, you have to have the patience of a saint to do some of that. Like I <laughs> I just whoo, man. It's just research. It really just comes down to wanting to do the research. Because with the even with the interior on that car, it was you know, watching videos of other people doing it or watching videos on how to do wood greening and going out to Lowe's or Home Depot, I don't remember which, and, you know, buying the wood greening tool and learning what works better, gel stain or regular strain or all of those things and just doing it. And the worst, the worst that can happen, it doesn't turn out how I want it. And then I decide I have to paint it instead. Same thing with the pinstriping. I'm not a professional. I have friends who are just the most amazing pinstripers. But I did research on designs I thought I could do, and I tackled it. And it turned out pretty cool. Some of my best pinstriping work, and I was really proud of it. And when I sold the car, I was glad I wasn't home when they came for it, because I probably would have cried. It was a little piece of my soul there. Yeah. But I knew that it was going to help me build the next one. And that was exciting. That was kind of the start of what I'll refer to as your portfolio, right? Yes. It took you four months to build. Yep. How long did you drive it? In other words, once it was done? I drove it for about two and a half years and that car drove all over. It drove from Buffalo to Washington, D.C. It went to Syracuse National several times. We drove the snot out of it all over New York and Pennsylvania. It was a blast to drive. Mm. And it was a cool car to bring to shows because that car was bagged at all four corners. So that it went all the way down to the ground. And nothing was cooler than pulling up to a show and pulling and parking it and then dropping it down to the ground because people would be like, <laughs> oh my God, that's insane. And then you park it and people would be like, how do you drive it like that? Like really, I mean, fun yeah. questions. Like I never mock anybody's questions, but I'm just like, but then they would look at the car and they're like, this is really cool. I like how you did this. And this makes sense. And all of those things and developing my own style. What was that experience like for you? That first show taking that car that you did? What was that experience like for you? The car community is extremely unique to newcomers. And when you're a woman in that world, which is very male dominated, you would think that they would be like the gatekeepers. They were the most welcoming group of individuals I've ever met in my life. I'm very much a supporter of the women, all things women. I think that as a community, I'm a very community driven individual. And I always tell women, do not be afraid to step into the world that is primarily male-driven. You'll always find detractors. You'll always find men who, and women who put you down for whatever you believe and like and whatever, whether it be cars or anything else. But you will always find people who share your passion and will help you learn and will offer to assist you if you have a problem. And those are your people, you know, and they were incredible. It's interesting, you know, talking about that because... The very essence of Femcanic Garage in Women's Motorfest is very female centric, 
right? Mm-hmm. And people ask, can men come? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? This is not about male bashing. It's not about excluding men. No. None of this is. But it goes back to community. Yep. It is purely about not the exclusion of men, right? Right. Or male bashing or any of that. It's simply just about highlighting and spotlighting women. It's giving them the stage. Yep. Does that make sense? Totally. And I find that the men that support this hobby or this industry are more than willing to share that spotlight, so to speak. Yes. They will lift you up. They will help you along. They will support you and promote you. And those are your people. And the people who do not believe that it is part of our world or should be, they really aren't in it for anything else other than to gatekeep. And you can spot people like that a mile away. Yep. They generally are the ones that will quiz you about components that just to quiz you. They lend nothing to the conversation in general. Over time, you know, my skin has gotten very, very thick. And it used to be I would panic because I would think I had to memorize every statistic about my car. As time has gone on and naturally because I've become more adept at navigating the automotive world and knowing the components and working on my craft a little bit more, I'm a little more adept at handling those conversations. But when I was first out there, it was very nerve-wracking because I was excited. (laughs) You don't have to know everything. Exactly. I've had this conversation with women multiple times. Like, yeah, but I don't work on my car. You don't have to work on your car to bring your car to a community festival that celebrates automotive, motorsports. I want you to like having a car. That's it. Enjoy the drive. Yeah. Do you like the drive? Do you like washing it and cleaning it? Do you enjoy doing That's it. That's all. Yeah. It is truly that simple. And you can go to these shows. It would be interesting to figure out the percentage of men that actually do real wrenching on their car. It's going down more and more. Right? It is. You don't have to wrench on it. It's just, do you enjoy it? Yeah. That's the tribe. And I would encourage all women that if you are being given a hard time, keep searching for your tribe. They're out there. What tips would you have for finding their tribe, Kat? If you have a certain type of car, whether it be a Mustang or a Charger or a Studebaker, find your people, meaning in this day and age of social media, There are 9 million forums on whatever is your bliss. Seriously. And express your interest in learning. Honestly, I don't care if you like Scooters R Us. That's your favorite car on the planet. Learn where the oil goes. Learn what type of oil goes in there. Know how to check your air pressure. Don't be beholden to someone else's knowledge. Learn a little bit. You don't have to know how to change your oil, but like know when it's low, know how to check it, know a few basics. Enjoy the drive. Make it your own. Put your own stink on things. You know, like if it's a color that you like or a style that you like or whatever, and find those people that share that liking of it. And for me, I always tell women if they find out I'm going to be at a show, whether it be local or out of state or whatever, and they've been following me on social media, look for me, shoot me a message, let me know you're there. I'll tell you where I set up my car. Please come talk to me. I'd love to meet you. Because 
I don't ever want people to feel like I'm gatekeeping information or they can't come and talk to me about stuff or maybe brainstorm with me like, oh, I was thinking about going with this card. Do you have any recommendations on where I should look for parts or a form or whatever? Or what have your insights been on stuff like that? Because chances are I have friends that like that type of car or I've run across forums or oh, try this vendor for a part or whatever. Those are the people that you want to surround yourself with because that's going to make you more knowledgeable and it's going to put you more in control of your, whether it's your hobby or or whatever. For me, my whole business that I created from all of this is more about promotion. It's about promoting vendors. It's about promoting the hobbyist. It's about encouraging people of all shapes and colors and ages to learn and to grow and to understand what they're driving, whether it's, you know, their Ford Escape in their driveway or, you know, their Audi TT that they know a little bit. You don't, no one's expecting it. Kat, I want to ask you a quick question here because there's something that I picked up that it didn't smack me in the face when I looked at your videos. But when I talked to you in the Mm pre-interview, it became very clear to me your business acumen, your business chops, (laughs) and your marketing chops, right? It's a topic and a thing that can be somewhat elusive for people, Mm -hmm. right? But before we jump into that, you self-funded everything on that car, right? Yep. Did you break even? Yes. That's a key question to ask folks is that a lot of people would jump to, did you make money? Yeah. This is what I mean by your business chops. And I don't know if your whole intention was this or not, but when I step back and look, that's brilliance to me. And one of the key things with business is knowing the end game, Mm -hmm. right? What is your ultimate goal? And if you're asking yourself as a business person, whatever that is, so here you are entertaining the idea, correct me if I'm wrong, of kind of starting this side hustle or side business, right? Yeah. Am I off on that or? No, you're right on. So you were considering that, right? So it is too short-sighted if you are asking the question, did Kat make money off that? Mm -hmm. That's the wrong question to ask. In this journey, when you're building a portfolio or a business, that's about breaking even. And if you break even on it, that's amazing. And when you talk to the good marketers, the point in selling a $5 or $10 offer on the front end is not to make money. It's to break even on your advertising. Yep. Right? So here you sold this car. You broke even, but now you have your advertising in your portfolio to be able to go to sponsors yep. and say, here's the quality of my work. Here's what I'm capable of. Here's my vision. Mm-hmm. It's about seeing the full picture, folks. Don't be short-sighted. Yeah. Right? And I think that's absolute brilliance on your part. So here you completed this car. Not only did you break even on it, you got to enjoy it and drive the hell out of it and have a lot of fun with it, right? I had a blast. That's brilliance. And you talk about the fun and the experience and the memories that you have. You can't put a price tag on that. Absolutely. I'm not trying to be cliche, but it's true, right? And you ended up breaking even. Yep. You go buy a car off of a lot. 
a brand new car, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates. Exactly. Here, you drove the hell out of that car and you still broke even, even after you put miles on it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's brilliant. So here you have this car, you sell it. Mm Mm-hmm. What was the next step for you? Yeah, I sold this. I want to do something else. Did you already have a car that you had bought while you had this other one and started redoing it? During the last six months of ownership of that car, I had taken steps to try to source a new project. I had ideas of what I wanted to try to do. I had a wish list of things that I wanted to accomplish in the next build. And I had a vision as to what type of car I wanted. And because I like different types of cars that aren't like you can't go on Rock Auto and buy a whole of all these components for, of course, I have to go for some rare stuff. So originally to do a Studebaker truck and I found a guy in Ohio and drove down to his place and looked at it and it was just a little bit too bad for what I wanted to do with it. But he had a whole building full of cars and I went there and we went through it and there was a couple that I really liked. And the one that I was considering, I said, I want to think about before I make you an offer. And he said, that's fine. You know, I'm going to be away. I'm going on vacation for a few weeks and I'll be back. We'll touch base then. So I did. And he was like, oh, I just sold it. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. So we went. Bummer. Yeah. So we went back down there and. Well, hold on. Let's back up. Yeah. Help the listeners, maybe who have never gone through the experience of trying to find a project car at the right price, the right quality of the panels and floor. I mean, the whole thing. What was that feeling you had? Well, at the time, my skill set, I felt, was sort of limited. So I knew the type of car in terms of the state it would have to be in. I knew what I was hoping to have come with it. I knew what I wanted to learn and what my end game goals were. And I knew what my price points. So I knew what my budget was for that car. So going and knowing all of that, you have to be very careful when you're looking at vehicles like So back then, I would have never considered a car that didn't have decent floors, right? Now, two and a half years later, now I have a build and I'm going to have to rebuild entire floors for it. And that doesn't bother me now because I've already done it for another build we're working on. So it's like building on those, being able to assess where your skills are at, knowing what you can do, knowing what you can learn and just being able to build upon that and then being realistic in your budget. So when you found out that that was sold after you did all that research and took all those things into consideration, what did you feel like when you heard that on the phone? What was that like? I was disappointed. I might have muttered a few obscenities in the chairman's (laughs) direction. But then I was like, well, he had a whole plot. He had three-story building full of cars. So I was like, it was a couple months later, and it was actually on my birthday. And I was like, you know, why don't we make another road trip and go back down to Ohio? And he's like, okay. So we called the guy up. He's like, sure, come on back down. We'll take a look. We'll see what else I have. I might have a couple of other things that might interest you. And so we headed back down there. And I went through and I saw a couple of things that were interesting and a couple of things I wanted to think about. He goes, you know what? why don't you come back to my house 
And I have a couple of cars there and I'll show you what I got, you know, because we're car people and yeah, you just, you love to learn and see what other people are working on. And I wanted to see his collection of cars. Because the three-story building wasn't enough. <laughs> wasn't enough, no. You know, it's like shoe shopping for me. Like you can never have enough shoes. I can never see enough cars. It's the same thing for me, honestly. I, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> so we go over and he's like, look at all, he's got all these motors and he's showing me his cars and super cool. And he does all his own work. So he's he had painted it and we're talking about painting and that. And I look over in the corner of my eye, I see this car under about 15 large bags filled with pop bottles. And I'm looking at the side view of it and the profile. And I'm like, that kind of looks like something I really would be interested in. And I said that to him and he goes, oh yeah, that might work for you. And we take all the pop bottles off and all of that and nothing's done to it. It's in primer. It needs work. There's rot in some of the panels, but I know I could fix that. No interior, but it has, you know, the frames of the seats. It has a motor and transmission. He's like, the guy that had it, I think he might've rebuilt it, but I don't know the status of it. It moves freely. And I'm like, okay. so. I took a bunch of pictures, looked underneath it, looked at the rockers, all of these things. I'm like, I'm really interested in this car. Don't sell it on me. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay. And I said, let me think about it. You know, we discussed some financials and we all the way home. And in fact, the funny thing is, is the same place that Women's Fest is, is where we stopped. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> the Quaker State. <laughs> and so... We're sitting there eating. I said, I really like the car. I really think it's a fair price. For How's that for forecasting? Exactly. <laughs> it's a circle of life. <laughs> it is, right? It is. Here you are from New York and you come to Ohio to look at this. Yeah. You find the car and you're going to drive the car. Are you driving it or trailering it? Oh, I'm driving it. I thought so. Yeah. You're going to drive it there to the decision point of when you bought it. How long have you had this car now, the Studebaker? Uh, about two and a half years, a little more maybe. Now, I want to back up just a little bit. And this kind of brings it full circle around your business chops. Yep. And I think it's a great lesson for all to learn. Is that your second build? Yep. Okay. So that's your second build. How long did it take you to redo that car? 11 months. That's mind-boggling. This is another thing, and I know this because I watch the videos. Yeah. Explain to the listeners what your shop is. It's a very high-tech, very large shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. It's a one-and-a-half-car garage. <laughs> it's attached to the house. Like, literally, folks, that's it. Like, I was watching the video, yeah. and then I would see the paint job that you did, particularly <laughs> on the roof of this Studebaker, yeah. and you did it in that garage? Yeah. Mind-blowing. Yeah. People create roadblocks for themselves saying, I don't have the equipment or the fancy this or fancy that. Rubbish. Yep. Wait till you see this, folks. It's beautiful. So you got it back. Yep. You redid and you do all of this work yep. in your one and a half car garage. Yep. <laughs> that's the painting. That's the engine work. That's the welding. That's the grinding. That's, I mean. Everything. Fill in the blank. Everything. Do you have the fancy lift? Nope. No lift. If anyone wants to donate a lift, I'll gladly take it. 
hands. <laughs> it would be nice to have a lift every now and then. It would be lovely to have a lift. <laughs> Even though it may not fit in the one-car garage, so it would have to be a very specific. Yeah, well, that was one of our other projects we did a few years ago. We built in the back of the house. We built it. We didn't have it built. We built a three-car garage for to store our vehicles. <laughs> Just to put the really nice cars you're yeah. redoing in the one and a half garage. <laughs> right. So we could put a lift back there so we could stack them like matchbox cars. <laughs> there you go. So here you go. It's leading up to this build. Did you always know you were going to solicit sponsorship for it? No, but it's one of those things in life. When we started this conversation, we talked about um, not being afraid to ask a question in fear of someone saying no. So I am a dreamer. I own it fully. I believe that if I want to do something. I'm with you, sister. You know, what's the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? I fall flat on my face. I've fallen flat on my face. You pick yourself up, you move on. So when I bought the car, I had said to my fiance, he's been in the industry his whole career in automotive parts. He's built the cars. He's done all the stuff, right? I'm the silly dreamer. Hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. You know, things like doing the Hot Wheels Legends Tour. That was my brainchild. <laughs> like, let's go do that. It's, oh, it's in Washington, D.C. Oh, sure, we can do it. He never says no, but he does say things like, are you sure? <laughs> so when I got the car, bought the car and it was coming home, I said, you know, I think I'm going to look into like writing to a bunch of companies and seeing if anyone be interested in helping me on the build. Hopefully, maybe they want to donate some stuff, but wouldn't that be cool to get some coverage of the car and everything else? And he's like, be prepared for no. And I talked with a couple of people who have gotten sponsorships from, from people and they're like, it takes months. It takes months. And I'm like, but I'm interesting. It's a cool car. I have a really great vision. And how could anybody say no to me? <laughs> right? Just dumb enough to try. You know, I Googled a bunch of CEOs for companies that I have a lot of respect for and who I know are both male and female friendly because that's very important to my mission statement in life is that they support men and women in the industry. And I literally every single solitary company I emailed emailed me back. Now, sometimes they said, hey, we already have our budgets for this year, but keep us apprised of what's going on. And it was funny because the week of SEMA, about two and a half years ago, I had said, oh, I haven't heard anything. It's been two weeks. You know, silly me, very naive. And he's like, it's the week of SEMA. You're not going to hear anything from anybody. I go into work. I check my email real quick, my personal email. And they're like, I got your information. It sounds like a really interesting build. We'd like to talk to you more about possibly helping you out on the build, but you'd have to be willing to do, you know, write about it and document stuff and all of that. And I called him on the phone and I'm like, I think this is an amazing opportunity. What do you think? And he's like, only you would get a letter two weeks after like this. And after that, I would get letters from other people and I go back and forth with a couple other vendors. But the follow-up thing is, and I think this is just as important, and it builds on that community. Before we jump on that, yeah. before we jump on that, I want to qualify some of that. If you were to guess, how many emails did you send out? Probably about 15. About 15. And yeah. how many sponsors did you end up with? I got Summit and 
built off of that with some really great deals with about four other vendors. Wow. Were those part of your original emails or you networked through a Summit Racing? No, some I networked through Summit and some were in addition to me reaching out to Summit. Wow. And then the emails that you sent, Yeah, was it just... I mean, how did you, how would you do it? I'm sitting there thinking like, this is like cold calling, but it's cold emailing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you literally emailed the CEOs of the companies. That's mind boggling. But it's different than saying, hey, I want you to give me stuff. And this is something I always tell people. There's a difference between an ask, meaning I want you to give me something and talking about what each side can get out of the arrangement, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, One of my selling points, you know, is the fact that I speak with passion. I lead a very purpose-driven life. And by that, I mean is I'm not necessarily in it to get anything from you. But hey, let me tell you about this. And do you think you would like to align with me on this vision? Meaning I could tell you about what I've gone through and I can share what you what you sell in terms of like with Summit. Hey, you have this product and I'm going to utilize it. And let me talk about utilizing it, spraying your paint or installing a coolant system or running fuel lines, anything like that. How cool is that? Like, I get excited about it even now, and I've been dealing with them for a few years. They're a great supporter of the hobbyist, obviously. Everybody and their brother has 50 million Summit stickers in their arsenal because they ordered from Summit, right? That's true. That's a true statement. (laughs) So my whole thing is feel my excitement about it, right? And maybe I'll get someone else excited, like all the people that go on your website, maybe they'll be inspired to not just put tires and rims on their car, but maybe they're going to upgrade their fuel injection system or buy a new set of pulleys or whatever. They sell everything, right? Mm -hmm. And hey, I had a great experience with your customer service or your tech guys. I'll talk about using tech support You know, like they may not have all the answers, but their job is to try to find them and talking about those experiences. Their tech support is pretty darn good. I have used it. I love them. I'm impressed. I love them. And I don't have any sponsors with Summit or anything, but I've redone a 67 GTO convertible. We're doing some work on a 6540 Cono line and we made some tweaks and changes with the alternator and different things. And they were phenomenal. Yeah. They were really good pleasantly surprised and not condescending. No. They weren't condescending at all. There was another vendor that I had went to their shop and they were very condescending towards me. Mm -hmm. And I'll use the word chauvinistic based on what I observed with my own two eyes and my own personal experience and how the other two women were treated and I observed in addition to myself. And that's the one thing I always tell people is that have a level set expectations over about who you're dealing with on the other end, Mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, in my regular job or in my hobby. If I'm talking to someone, I don't expect them to fully understand, nor do I always have the capability of explaining what problem I'm having. And so I use those skill sets very carefully in both worlds that I am involved in. When I am talking with a member 
about their surgery and I'm trying to calm them down, I use layman's terms as to what my job entails. When I'm dealing with hospital system, it's a little more upgraded. You know your audience. Jargony and... Yeah, yeah. If you're using the language associated with the room that you're in. Yep. And so when I'm talking with a tech support person or a mechanic and I'm trying to explain the problem, I talk in the way that's comfortable for me. The thing that I notice is that a good person, whether it be a good tech guy, a good mechanic good doctor even, they will not necessarily dumb it down, but they will change the way they talk to you so that you... Relatable. Yes. Excellent. It's almost like they create examples to help connect the dots. Yep. And I have a tendency when I'm learning a new skill set or whatever, or new concept, I mirror back that concept in a way that makes sense to me. So I'll say things like, so what I think you're saying is X, Y, Z equals P, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Jim will ask me all the time, how did you put that together? And I'm like, well, if this goes to this and this goes to this and and all of that. yeah. And he's like, your brain works very analytically that way, but it does that in everything that I do. So go back to getting the sponsorship from Summit, instead of saying, oh, yeah, that would be great, da 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 we took a day off of work and we drove out to Summit and met with them. And we showed them, you know, pictures of what we have. I showed them my renderings of what I wanted to do with my new build. I talked about what I wanted to learn on this build. And you just glazed over that. But yes, folks, you did pick that up. <laughs> she does drawings as well, because all of the other stuff isn't enough. <laughs> she actually draws her projects too. It's like the female version of Chip Foose. But hey, <laughs> you have an official custom shop, right? That you titled. I have an official promotion business that I titled Cat Pack Customs. Because the types of cars that Jim and I built, we'd still build things together, is customs, meaning it's not a restoration. It isn't perfect. It looks the way we want to look, you know, design the car. It may have a different engine and drivetrain than it originally came with, but we make it work. Yeah. And it is mechanically sound and safe to drive and we drive our cars. I've driven mine to my office, much to the amusement. Will this be the longest drive for the Studebaker? Um, South Bend, Indiana was the longest drive. Okay. I think that was... So this will be like the second longest then for you. Second longest. Yeah. Wow. So South Bend was like 760 miles. And I think this is like a little over four, I think. So we were actually talking about that journey, you know, like timing wise, because... Let's be honest, Ohio traffic can be a little hairy in some spots, <laughs> so you have to time it right. Yeah. No offense to anybody in Ohio, but no, no. I've driven through there enough. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Timing is everything. So you ended up getting these sponsors. Yep. You shared how you got the sponsors. Yep. And I think the actual restoration part yep. uh, and customization part is documented pretty darn well. You have that documented. I'm yep. going to include some links so that the listeners and viewers can go and check out those videos and that information. Great. We're going to have video pictures and all that kind of good stuff as well at Women's Motor Fest uh, coming this September. 
And maybe this can be like an annual get together for us. And who knows what car will be there next year. Mm. But little teaser, (laughs) do you have another one in the hopper? I already have it. It's in my yard now. (laughs) It's in your yard now. Are you allowed to share what it is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right now it is a 1940 LaSalle. They're getting older. (laughs) They're getting older. They're getting older and more involved work-wise. So this will be probably a stretch of every skill set I have ever done. Do you have a goal completion? Like how many months? It's going to probably be at least a year and a half to do it because of the work involved and time and everything else. And it's also because we're currently working on a 1950 Pontiac that Jim that we work on together. Ooh, what kind of Pontiac? It's a Tin Woody. Really? So it's a wagon. He loves his wagons. So yeah, we had to replace the floors. So I did a lot of work in that regard and some metal fabrication. And that one has an LS motor that's going in it. And then we have to build out the interior, but that's like his vision. So that's his styling on that. So for mine on the LaSalle, um, it's currently a four-door, but it will be a two-door when I get done with it. And there will be a lot of radical customization on that one that will really test everything that I've been developing and probably create some great new skills as well. Do you name your build? I do. What's your Studebaker? It's called the Stew after the Stig. That's awesome. (laughs) Really original, but it just stuck. And my first car, which was a Chevy, was named after um, my grandfather's nickname was Mel. And he worked for GM. He was a VP at uh, the local Tonawanda stamping plant. And he had passed away a couple decades ago. But I knew when I got the Chevy that it was going to be nicknamed after him. And so I never call it like a lot of people call it, know their cars as, oh, that's my 40 Ford or whatever. I name my cars. And so he was always called Mel. And people are like, who the heck is Mel? I'm like, oh, it's my, it's my 50 plate line and the stew. And everyone laughs at me. But I also have vanity plates on my vehicles. Oh, you get the vanity plates. Yeah. So because my nickname is Cat, and it's how everybody knows me, the 50 Chevy was known as Cat's Rat because it was kind of a rat. It was, looked like a rat rod and it had various components to it. So that's what that one was named at. Um, the Studebaker has cat stew on it, which is probably highly inappropriate in this day and age, but it makes me smile. And yeah. uh, people always do a double take when they see it. But, you know, I document my builds very thoroughly for other people to see, but for my own knowledge base, because you forget how much you've done. You forget how far you come. And I always try to take pictures as I'm doing things. So I know what I started with, or even sometimes how things went together. Have you named the new one yet? I have, but that one's not ready for prime time yet. <laughs> <the new release. laughs> Actually, the funny thing is, is Jim calls it Sally, but the name isn't Sally. And if I talk about it, I always talk about my cars and their names. I'll start saying, Sally and I'll be like son of a gun and or some horrible expletive that shouldn't be said <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes haha made you think about it but yeah I'm sort of like trying to come up with a I want to put the name on the car somewhere so I've been talking with my pinstriping friends about creating the style of writing for that that I want to put on it and you know I know 
in my brain, I have hashed out every detail down to the color, down to the interior. In fact, I've already drawn out the interior renderings. You know, I know what gauges I want to put in. I'm trying to source the engine and transmission for it. And, wow. you know, I have a whole bunch of extra parts that I have sourced. I've driven several hundred miles to source fenders and another deck lid and just all sorts of components. I am so excited to watch your next build. It'll be fun. It was fun watching. I binge watched and then my partner binge watched too. <laughs> like, check this out. So I am super excited that you're coming down to Columbus. So and we talked a little bit about this, but I would love to uh, sit shotgun and absolutely take a ride around the block and stew with you if that's possible. Absolutely. And if anybody, when they come to the event, definitely come by and talk. I love to talk and show people. I love to share the things that I've done and the problems and ways I've overcome things and just sort of offer encouragement to any woman or girl or, you know, I've had people bring their granddaughters over to meet me. Whatever I can do to empower other people to try is my biggest. Here's a good story for you, sister. And I think you'll appreciate this. We got a message. I believe it was from dad and he was thanking us for making women's motor fest a possibility. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have found you probably if it hadn't been for women's motor fest and his seven year old daughter loves cars. has always loved cars. And she was picking out which car she wanted to bring to the show. And they registered the car under her name per women's motor fest rules. Right. (laughs) Like dad's, Heck yeah, but it's got to be registered under your daughter's name with dad's information, right? That way, if we make announcements and stuff, she hears her name. She's seven years old, and what they're doing is they're stopping right before the registration table or where we do the pictures because we'll each woman will stop and we'll get a picture of her with the car. And dad's going to put her on his lap so she can drive the car in. <laughs> I love it. So he is super excited for her. And when I saw that message, I'm like, boy, I knew you would appreciate something like that. I love stuff like that. And it's the very reason. It makes all the challenges of putting an event like this together worthwhile. And it reminds me exactly why I wanted to do it. (laughs) Because it's been some long nights for it. Absolutely. And it's an important message that we are sharing with young girls, especially coming up, that They can do anything, whether it's cars or motorcycles or whatever. That's right. You know, I tell my kids who are grown that find your bliss. And I truly believe in that. Final question before we jump into the red line round. Mm -hmm. What do your kids think of this? How old are your kids? Uh, 32 and 30. What do they think of mom doing this? They think it's kind of cool and they probably think it's kind of (laughs) weird. (laughs) They've been all through school and everything, right? They were grown by the time that you jumped into this. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) You're probably just as bit active on social media with content and everything. And that's exciting. I am. That is super exciting. Well, I also do pin up and, you know, and my kids are like, they know I've been published and I've been in calendars and everything else. And, you know, I think sometimes they just sort of roll their eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it is what it is. I believe in being very true to who I am. And 
I don't use age to be a deterrent at any point in my life, whether it was in as a mother or even for my kids. I didn't tell them, oh, by the time you're 30, you should know what you want to be when you grow up kind of thing. I believe that we all sort of, the best you can hope out of life is that you grow continually through your lifetime and you don't stagnate and you find what feeds you. Then you surround yourself with those people. Yes. I think that is a perfect lead in to the red line round. Red line round is just five rapid fire questions. No right or wrong answer. Just whatever pops into your head is the right answer. You ready? Okay. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in this industry? People like Chip Foose, Kindig, Bogie, and my fiance. Love it. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Um, I will do research online. I will watch a ton of YouTube videos and I reach out to my car community, whether it be a specialized community like with my Studebaker, and they generally will guide you as to what your best practices are. Are those like Facebook groups you've joined? Yep. Gotcha. There's a million of them. You can find your people everywhere. What excites you most about what you do? Creating and learning always. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly when you feel stuck or discouraged? Personal habit. I don't give up. I'm very tenacious and I always think that there's an answer somewhere. I just have to find it. What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? You're not alone. There's a bunch of us out there and you're always welcome. Simple and to the point. I love it. (laughs) And finally, Kat, where and how can people connect with you? I can be found on Facebook. You can find Cat Pack Customs on Facebook or on Instagram on the Cat Pack with underscores in between each word. Or you can follow me on my YouTube channel, which is Pinups and Hot Rods. Nice. Kat, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and allowing me to pick your brain about your journey, your business chops and everything in between and i am super excited to meet you in person yeah can't wait thanks again i appreciate you thank you and thanks for having me cat jones car fabricator i'm a femcanic jesse jackson is in the driver's seat next jesse is a businesswoman investor in automotive businesses and a proud mom of six she is the owner of mango automotive Jessie spent 13 years in a startup and stumbled upon a project focusing on the automotive SaaS program. After the company she was working for told her her role was being eliminated, Jessie decided to go into business for herself, and she is well on her way down the path towards financial freedom. She completed her first auto shop acquisition with zero dollars out of pocket. Since, Jesse has acquired three more automotive repair shops and two are in progress. Be sure to listen next week as Jesse shares with us how she started her business and continues to grow it. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website at femcanic.com for swag and the links to the resources shared during this episode. If you want to help grow this community, 
subscribe, rate, and review. And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?